Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find a little bit disturbing. If you're still listening, tell a friend about the podcast. Now, come on, text them, tell them you like slaughter, tell them, come out to them, tell them about true crime. Do you think that's what people do? Do you think we're one of those podcasts that people put on to fall asleep to? Possibly, although every now and then we sort of like bark like a dog or scream, so... That is why I pepper in a little... (laughs) Oh my god! Every two minutes. Listen to me! Give me attention! (laughs) So, I'm going to kick us off... Um, with a tale pretty well known. Yeah. The Acid Bath Murderer. Good one. Yeah, a little disappointing though. At no point is there a bath. Or any acid. <laughs> <laughs> there is acid, but like I was There's having... no bath? No. Like oh, I was having... I thought it was like um, a bath. Breaking yeah. bad. Yeah, no, me too. I thought it was going to be really glamorous. He was like, oh, just settle down. Let me use some of my own bubble bath concoction no it's bullshit oh I didn't think they were alive when he put them in I thought it was like to dispose yeah it is to dispose I'm just saying it's a bath there's no bath it's a bloody bath anyway so I'm going to bring my story with a lady we're going to begin at the end okay because that's how I like to do things I'm going to begin midway through you fucking rebel Mm. um with our lady and she was called Olive Henrietta Helen, Olivia, Robarts, Durand, Deacon. Oh my good God. One woman, that's her entire name. Why? And the names are really similar too. She's called Olive and Olivia, Henrietta and Helen. Well, it's like if they just called me Emma, Emily, Elizabeth, Emmeline. They just give me all the same names several times. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I was looking, uh, after I read that, I was like, oh, I'm going to look up what the most popular baby names are of 2016 and you know strawberry? see what weird things they've come up with in the top 10 were both olivia and emma like yeah. it was super disappointing i was like You're i thought so generic i was like i thought we lived in the future now like we can actually do a video call do you remember like Romy and michelle when they're like in the future we'll video call like we can do that now it happens but yeah. yet no one's naming their child zorg no. I hope I live to see the day. So, Olive Henretta, Helen, Olivia, Deacon, Durard, Durard, Deacon. Um, Mrs. Durard, Deacon. So that three times fast? Nope. She lived in a hotel for six years after her <laughs> husband died. Oh, I'd I love to live in a hotel. Isn't that amazing? Like, it's so brilliant. much better than just an old people's home. Like, everything's cleaned for you, and, like, meals are cooked for you, but, yeah, it's glamorous. Yeah. Or it'd probably be really irritating after a while. I mean, it depends what hotel as well. Like, damned to an eternity in the travel lodge yeah. isn't quite as appealing. But Alan Partridge style. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not glamorous. Or cool. Um, but this was the Onslow Court Hotel, um, which is in Kensington. So it's now something slightly different. And it would cost them... Because like, I was thinking, surely to live in a hotel, that's mental. Um, it would cost five pounds and five shillings a week to live there. Was that a lot then? Well, it was actually about one hundred and nineteen pounds to live there that's per not, week. Which to say bad. you're living in Kensington and you've got a cleaner, that's pretty fucking reasonable. So she'd lived there for six years, and for over four years, she'd had a casual acquaintance with a man who lived there. I mean, there was a few people that lived in a hotel. It was like a thing to do. Um, she was 69, and this man, he was very neat. 
He had a little nice clipped moustache. Like I wouldn't You're not fuck him. Like my guy, yeah, like you? I wouldn't fuck him, but I'd introduce him to my friends. <laughs> You'd set him up with people. Yeah. It was odd that he lived there because he was only 39 years old. So the people that... With li- her? In, no, separately. Yeah, he was a casual acquaintance. I'm not just bedding a casual acquaintance in this hotel. Um, and this was... he was So it was odd that he was young because, like I said, a lot of... It would be older people that would live in the hotels. You'd usually have a family and live in a house, of course. Um, and this was taking place about six months before the end of World War II. So we're in 1944. Right. So, obviously, a young man at this time should have been or would have been expected to be off fighting. So, his presence there was quite bizarre. Mm. Um, It turned out that he was an engineer and he claimed that he was working on inventions and creating patents for things that would help with the war effort. So, these two people developed a friendship um, and they would, like, have a drink together, just hanging out, relaxing, maxing all cool. Shooting some meatballs after, outside of the school. Shooting some billiards down in the parlour. <laughs> so at this time, he wasn't particularly suspicious other than he was so much younger, but it would later come out that at this time that he was becoming uh, friends with Mr. Andeekin, he'd already murdered five people. Um, oh, shit. And this guy was John George Haig. So... Start, the story really kicks off, so Valentine's Day in 1949, so it's the, the four years he'd lived there. Uh, Mrs. Durandeacon, she was having lunch with a friend in the hotel, as you do, and she was showing her her latest invention. Yeah. Everyone's a creative at this point. So she pulls out a box full of plastic fingernails. Oh, God. <laughs> I've invented something! Which... Actually, it's quite great now, but a little bit terrifying. If you, that's the first time you've seen a fake fingernail, like so yeah. she invented false fingernails. Like she was trying to, yeah, stick-ons. yeah, and like she used to. So she had plastic ones in this box, but she'd also had like paper ones that she'd cut out and glued to her own hands. No paper ones. She's not washing she just, up with them on. Just well, she's not in the hotel. No, oh. experimenting. I mean, I like it, but so she went over to him because he was into patents and things. And asked if he thought her idea was worth anything. Like, will people go for these plastic fingernails I'm carrying around? In a box. Um, And he said, well, I'll have a think about it and let you know. Not really my line of expertise, but... Yeah. But this gave him an idea of a very different nature. So Haig, at this point, was in debt. Although he claimed to be an engineer working for this inventions company, he had no regular income. He was in a losing streak on gambling, he was overdrawn, and he was behind on his hotel bill. He owed them £50, which was about £1,100 that he owed the hotel. Uh. I mean, that's because they're classy. They won't just kick people out. They'll be like, oh, he's a gentleman, we'll give him a chance. Yeah, to be fair, they were pretty good about stuff like that, weren't they? Now it's like, getting paid, see you later. Yeah, fuck off. Um, see you later in London. Good day. So the next day, he started to put his plan into action. He drove to a workshop that he had in Crawley in Sussex. And this workshop actually belonged to his old employers. And he now just borrowed it off them because they didn't use it anymore. Which I think is, like, very risky. If you're going to use an employer's workshop to do evil things, like almost like editing a not suitable for work podcast on a borrowed laptop (laughs) hopefully if you subscribe to the patreon this won't need to happen any longer (laughs) um so he went down to the workshop and one of his business acquaintances that was like milling around this industrial area place mr davis he asked him if he could go and collect some acid from london well just come from there but sent someone back and went to his old boss that he was borrowing the workshop off and said, can I borrow some money that I'm going to give you back later? So he obviously had plans for this right. money because he couldn't afford to pay it back yet. So Davis, that he had asked to go about, he was the one who then started... He went into the workshop and had to top up these carboys, topped up the old ones and took an empty one away so he could fill it up and bring it back. I'm oh, sorry, 10 gallons of sulfuric acid was in a carboy. Um, and, but it's pretty much a waste of time. Like, if he wants somebody else to be doing the dirty work, John Haig had purchased the sulfuric acid in his name, and Davis was just picking it up. 
So the paper trail still leads straight back to him. He wasn't really trying to cover his tracks. Right. He just couldn't be asked to do heavy lifting, it seems like. <laughs> so on Thursday, Haig then bought a 45-gallon drum um, that was prepared so that it would resist the corrosive acid and, like, wouldn't resolve. So obviously he's going to be shoving some of it in there. Right. And he told Mrs. Duran Deacon that fingernails are go. <laughs> it's it's a goer. We're going to do it. Pop on down to my Crawley workshop on Friday and we'll see what we can do about these things. So on the Friday, half past two, they left the hotel together, met downstairs and then drove off to Crawley in his car. On the back seat, he had a hat box Mm -hmm. which cleverly disguised and contained a 38 Enfield revolver and eight rounds of ammo. Like, like you often see that in like the old timey films where they hide a Tommy gun in a hat box or something. Yeah. Like, what's the modern equivalent of a hat box? Because people wore a lot of hats then. But what what do you do now if you're like, oh, I want to carry a gun around without people knowing? What are we hiding it in? Um, the people carry those massive handbags. Just in a bag. Like it's not really very creative. Just I'm just gonna carry it in a bag. Yeah. <laughs> Done. <laughs> okay. Um, so then about half past four, they were in the workshop. He obviously lured her in to have a look, said, come see these plans. And then while she was facing a workbench, he came behind and shot her in the back of the head. And Haig just fully explains this in detail to the police. It's mainly his information that we have to go off because Mr. Duran Deacon was slightly dead at the time. Um, after Aww, he did, I liked Mrs. Duran Deacon. She was a she's very rich. She's like I painted her in my mind. Like a fr- like, she was like sort of she wore a lot of floral jackets in my head, and like like those sort of like you know when your skirt matches your little jacket. Yeah, like, I'm thinking more of like the plump, the Dowager Countess from Downton Abbey. She's a bit of a Maggie Smith, I think. Do you think? Oh, I didn't think she'd be that posh living at the hotel. Oh yeah, crazy rich to live in a hotel. Yeah, I guess. Doesn't matter because he chopped her into bits, Aww. mashed her right up, Aww. and shoved her in a barrel. <laughs> you knew it was coming. You're in a true crime know. podcast. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in a true crime podcast. Mashed her in the barrel, uh, but he just left her there for a bit. Went off. Go and spoke to his old boss. Say, "Oh, the old lady never came, so I haven't got your money." Oh. Obviously, trying to like give himself a bit of an alibi. Yeah. Went out for dinner. Went and had some tea and poached eggs on toast. As you do. And then came back and started pumping the acid into the oh. barrel. Um, and then went home. He was back in the hotel about 11pm. So nine, did he have a day motive? He just wanted... He was in debt. He so wanted, he wanted her money. Yes. So that morning, he went about the hotel playing innocent and sowing some seeds of doubt, like speaking to people in the dining hall, being like, oh... Have you seen Mrs. Duran Deacon this morning? I can't think where she was. She was supposed to meet me yesterday. I never saw her. Just sort of playing uh, like, innocent. Like when you're going to be off sick the next day, you're like, oh, I'm not feeling very well today. Or I feel a little bit ill today. I've got a sore throat. Got to sow those seeds. Yeah. Um, so he spoke to another acquaintance, another lady, and they, she was like, yeah, I'm really worried about her. Let's go check the room. Obviously, it hadn't been slept in. Um, but they didn't call the police because... She was a rich older lady. She could gad about if she wanted to. She yeah. could go away if she liked. And so that day, Haig then returned to Crawley to check on the body because it didn't just dissolve straight away, pump a bit more acid in. Yeah. On the way, he sold her watch in Horsham, pumped in the acid, and on the way back, sold her Persian lamb coat for £50. So he's already trying to like make little bits yeah. of her. Um, the next day, we're now on Sunday of this week. He then went to the same woman that he checked the room with, this friend, who was still getting quite suspicious. And he was like, right, if I'm going to hide it, I'm going to have to be in on it. Like, I'm going to have to help the police, otherwise it looks like I'm, you know, involved. So he yeah. says to her, shall we go to the police together and report this? And tries to act like he's been really helpful in the investigation. Yeah. So they were both interviewed by a policewoman called Sergeant Lamborn, who just basically, and like in loads of different books and articles I read, it was like she just had a gut instinct about John Haig 
Like he was giving her all the right words, but she looked at him and was like, nope. Yeah. There is something odd about you. I know a creep when I see one. Yeah. It's weird how you do, don't you? You just think, that guy's fucking creepy. Google was well sexist about this issue. She's called Alexandra. So I was like typing in, oh, Alexandra Lamborn. And it was like, oh, did you mean Alexander? <laughs> no, I fucking didn't. No. There is no Sergeant Alexander Lamborn who had gut instincts about murderers. <laughs> Piss off, Google. Then a call was put through to Scotland Yard's record office to do a background check on him. And it revealed that he'd actually been in prison three times for crimes that had been connected with fraudulently obtaining money. Right. So he already had for not murdering anyone, but he was his main job was defrauding people pretty much. During this time, after they'd been to the police station, Haig was on his way back to Crawley, check on the body, pump in some more acid, keep on top of things. Basically, once it sort of in my head, it was like just dissolves, like fizzes away. Oh no, it wouldn't know, would it? It'd be all clumpy. Yeah, it's definitely a bit more like that episode from Break. Like it sort of creates like a sludge. Yeah, and I actually watched. Um, there was one a thing on YouTube where they were showing demonstrating how it would happen with uh, like a chicken oh. thigh in sulfuric acid it's not even quick like it would take half an hour for this chicken thigh to still just be a little bit sloppy yeah so to dissolve a body I mean we were only like two days down it's like in a cartoon it'd be like two seconds in real life it'd be like no she's fizzing away like still at it having to stir it pump it in so over the next couple of days the investigation's continuing and he's just not really laying low he's just continuing to sell off a jewellery and like tip out the sludge in the yard just outside the workshop there's a lot of witnesses seeing him pawning shit or selling shit yeah like he's like he's literally driving from London to Sussex and on the way just going to shops and selling these off like he's not trying to be smart about it people get caught well it's his in his head he was like if there's no body they can't convict me of murder like that was his belief was that that that's the law which is wrong it's if there's no body of evidence you can convict them but he was convinced that as long as they don't find her she'll just always be a missing person they can't yeah he just thought it would just never come to so he wasn't scared and as we know and I'll go into it he'd done this before and hadn't been caught he pretty much thought he was invincible at this point Mm. Um, she had a plastic handbag because obviously in 1949 plastic was like the most desirable um, <laughs> which was only very slightly damaged so he just was like I'll shove it behind some bricks at the scene of the crime yeah. no need to do much more than that and he went to his boss who he borrowed the money off to pay him back Which at which point Mr Jones the boss said um, the police have been here to speak to me about you Oh. And Haig was like, oh, I'm not doing anything. I'm not in any trouble. I'm not murdered anyone. But if I am in trouble, stay away from the workshop. <laughs> How can you That's make it... terrible. How can you make it... Like, well, if I am convicted, just don't look in this room. There's definitely nothing in the workshop that you would want to see. That's oh. like when you're trying to tell someone someone else's secret, but yeah. you, know, you can't. <laughs> you can't because you promised you'd keep quiet. Well, they're definitely not pregnant with so-and-so's child. So, Saturday the 26th of February, so um, about 12 days after, I know, sorry, about a week after the murder, this boss, Jones, took the police straight to the Giles Yard workshop and, with his key, got in. In there, they found the pump, a rubber apron, rubber gloves, a gas mask, and the hat box containing the gun. And the receipt for her Persian lamb coat. Oh, shit. So everything. So Sunday they chilled out. And on... <laughs> it's a Sabbath day. So. No, yeah, we're not doing shit on Sunday. Like, we know it's you, but <laughs> roast potatoes are on. <laughs> yeah. So Monday they went, <laughs> they went to... It's a Monday. <laughs> they went and took John Haig into Chelsea Police Station for questioning. And... He initially said he didn't do it, but when they presented him with the receipt for the coat, he just admitted it. He said, yeah, I've been selling off all of her belongings, but um, it was just, he said it was like a tale of blackmail. He's like, I've got a long story to tell you. It's about blackmail. I definitely didn't do a killing. That's it. (laughs) 
So the lead investigators, Symes and Barrett, uh, left the room to be like, okay, he's about to make a confession. We'll just go and sort some things. Let's go get some drinks down the pub. While he, they were out of the room, Haig spoke to D.I. Webb, the officer that was left to watch him, and just said, oh, um, what are the chances of someone escaping from Broadmoor? Yeah! Like, so... Subtle. Already... He's hoping... Well, Broadmoor is um, what was Broadmoor Institute for the Criminally Insane. So, a psychiatric institution. Some really good documentaries on Broadmoor. Uh, so, already, he's formu- thinking, I'm going to plead insanity yeah. on this one. And not only... And escape from it. So... <laughs> which leads to a lot of things, because um, John Haig had mentioned in his confession later that he drank the blood of his victims and that has been widely discredited I mean he maintained it the whole time but people have never really taken it seriously of course you can see newspaper articles of the vampire killer yeah but he's remembered as the acid bath murderer because it's definitely believed that he just made that up so that he could be seen as insane right um, and the fact that he was saying to escape from Broadmoor suggests that he's thinking I'll pretend and then get out yeah um, the inspector obviously said I'm not going to talk to you about that and he and Haig responded with, well, if I told you the truth, you wouldn't believe me. It just sounds too fantastic for belief. <laughs> I think the choice of words pretty important there. I know he means fantastic as in, like, fantastical like fantasy. fantasy. But still, he has this idea that he is above the law yeah. and that he's pretty invincible. So even in his confession, he still felt there was a chance that he would go free. He kept telling them, well, no trace is going to be found of her and her body's never coming back and things like this, just sort of taunting them. And while he was telling the story of how he killed uh, Mrs. Duran Deacon, he just would like briefly mention other murders, saying like, oh, well, there were other people, but that's the subject of another story. <laughs> like, fucking tell us now. Yeah, and the police were pretty much like, um, I think you kind of have to. So eventually he gave them the names of William McSwan, McSwan's parents, uh, so Mr. and Mrs., and Dr. and Mrs. Henderson, who had all been disposed of in a very similar manner. So That's a lot of acid. That is a fuckload of acid, right? Yeah, that, what is that, five people? Five people all disposed of in acid. So, and they must have been at similar times if it's like three of one family as well. Mm. Well, so we'll get. So I'll get onto that story now. So he met and rekindled a, like a friendship acquaintance with William McSwan in 1944. Um, he became a friend of the family and would go and visit McSwan's parents with him. And he there was this weird story where he's claimed that he was going to fix a pinball machine for William and had it in his basement so he said oh come down to the basement and have a look at it see what you think and while he was down there smacked him on the back of the head claimed he drank his blood yeah and shoved him in a water butt which he then filled with acid oh god and then just tipped him down the drain um he stopped anyone arousing suspicion because obviously in 1944 men would either be conscripted mm. Or be trying to escape conscription. Yeah. So he told McSwan's parents that he was in hiding to avoid being called up to fight. Right. That he'd gone away. Which is sort of... Wasn't that shameful, though, as well? It's like... Pretty much so. Not only is he slandering him, but he's murdered him. It's like... Yeah, so they wouldn't have wanted to tell people. The parents would have kept up the pretense because they wouldn't have wanted to admit, oh, he's running away from his duty. Yeah. Um, and he would like forge letters to the parents saying oh I'm in Scotland or I'm here Um, and then realised actually now that William's gone he would have been the heir to their business and their house and things like that so I'm going to bump them off too kept it going a year and then killed both his parents in the acid drum no bath just a drum should have been called the acid drum murderer, really. I know. <laughs> and, and unless that's some kind of weird dance genre of music. <laughs> yeah. I'm really into acid drum. <laughs> and so then he could assume the identity of William, obviously having all of his belongings, because he did the murder, yeah. um, took control of all their assets, 
and was able to he got a few thousand pounds out of it and was able to live for quite a few years yeah, that, that would have been a lot then wouldn't it oh yeah definitely like he yeah. lived for that was his livelihood for a while but yeah. he did get through it was he like gambling and just like not living a normal life yeah. living in a hotel like n- buying fancy cars yeah. like easy come easy go if you didn't have to work for it don't really give a shit about yeah, being true. careful with it whereas like I remember when I one of my first job when I was getting paid hourly and I was like this coffee is one hour's work and I just <laughs> taught everything up by how many hours it takes to yeah. pay for it it's so depressing so you wouldn't go and buy a fancy coffee would you no so he needed some more victims so he met Dr. and Mrs. Henderson at a hotel that they were all living in and was just living in a hotel in Brighton took them to the Crawley workshop on some various pretense shot them in the head apparently oh. drank their blood <laughs> and made them all melty <laughs> oh god he also then forged letters to their family to her brother saying that they'd gone to emigrate to Australia again rich people living in a hotel something that could have happened and it's yeah. hard to check up like communication although we're in like the late 40s you can telephone people could just text them could you not long or distance email. Uh, do find my iPhone. 1st of March, Haig's now in custody, and the police go to the scene of the crime to try and collect some evidence for it. So, despite Haig's complete confidence that they're going to find nothing, you've got nothing on me, four wooden boxes of sludge and crap Ugh. were collected so that some poor sod had to sift through it. Um, I guess there was no DNA then. No, not really. But they were able to find twenty-eight pounds of fat. That's a plastic fig glue. <laughs> three gallstones. Um, oh. a part of a foot. Oh no. Eighteen corroded bone fragments. A lipstick container. <laughs> I love how the bones barely made it, but the lipstick container is yeah. fucking indestructible. A full, complete set of dentures. Oh my god. Which were identified as being um, Mrs. Duran Deacon's dentures Shit. and the handle of her Didn't think of that indestructible either. handbag. <laughs> well, I just think when he was pouring out the sludge, surely he could see that yes. there's a full set of gnashes there. Part of a foot. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how... But, uh, the fact that they knew it was part really of a foot tells me it was quite sizable. Yeah. Because it just... Just looked round. I don't think he was looking too closely. I mean, again, similar to last week's Dennis Nielsen, I don't think... He, he didn't love the murder. He was motivated by money. He was trying to commit the perfect crime where he could defraud people yeah. and there would be no witness. Um, there was a an interview with a, a guy that had been in prison and he was saying that the weakest link in any case is the victim and Haig was obviously trying to make sure that he was eliminating the weak link so he wasn't loving murder he was just yeah. felt like this is the way to commit a perfect it, like, crime shooting people in the head there's no like pleasure in that yeah it? back of the head he wasn't looking at them yeah. so I think when he was tipping away the sludge he wasn't really paying attention to the contents and was more just fucking get out yeah and um, so two days after he was held in prison, um, Haig then admitted to three other murders of strangers that he'd murdered and robbed and then disposed of in acid after drinking their blood. But there was no evidence to support this. And What, the blood drinking? The blood drinking, yeah. all these other three murders. Why was he admitting to them then? At this point, they think he was just trying to really consolidate the fact that he was insane like right. he was in prison and his main defense now was that they've got to believe i'm insane so that i can be sent to Broadway. Right. i'm not going to be hanged so he was just saying oh and i killed this person and drank their blood oh and i killed this person and drank yeah. their blood the they definitely believe the blood drinking was fabricated and a part of the reason they said this was because if you remember earlier, the poached eggs on toast yeah. that he said he went off and had before pouring the acid in. Uh, blood is an emetic, so if he drank a pint of blood the way that he claimed he would have done after eating, he would yeah. definitely have just been vomiting absolutely everywhere. Like, oh, there's no way he could detail. have done it. I love little details like that. I was quite surprised by that, because I'd watched a documentary on real-life vampires. You can't Which... have eggs and blood. Yeah, we should do an episode on them. No, eggs and blood. And um, yeah, I love the real life. So they were just drinking, but they weren't drinking like pints of blood. They're just they're just like oh, 
we scratch ourselves so we bleed a bit and then I'll lick it yeah like was not... it those teenagers I think I've yeah. seen that and they got like special fangs made and they were super into it but they were just like licking a tiny bit of blood yeah. like if you cut your finger and you're like I'll oh, just suck it it'll be fine we did That's that Brisbane one as well didn't we it was like a oh yeah they were full lesbian vampire, vampire killer apparently so as well he's trying to come up with other things to prove he's mental so he claimed that oh well I drink blood and I also I drink my own urine I have done since I was a boy which then he was like I'm gonna show you and like every time the prison doctor was around he'd be like look I drink my own urine which I think is like did he have a couple or is he just trying to piss up in his mouth (laughs) I don't know either one's good if he could (laughs) if he could piss up in his own mouth I'd watch either (laughs) if he could piss up in his own mouth I don't think he'd be in this situation now because that is a skill you can take right to the bank But I think as well, it's like the most harmless, weird thing that you can demonstrate. Like, it's not like, oh, I'm like, I'll lock people up for that. There's people who do that for supposed health But he's got to prove that he's insane. So he can prove that he can drink his own piss, like, just about. I can hold my nose and gag it down. But I can't do an Albert Fish and be like, yeah, I shove nails in my taint. And, like, just jam them up. Because no one's going to, you're not going to go through with it, surely. Um, So part of... He also then tried to build his case further. And he said that this insanity went back to his childhood. Um, He'd grown up in Yorkshire to parents who were both members of a religious sect called the Plymouth Brethren. Basically, they were sort of like very austere, like Quaker-esque. Like, they weren't allowed to do anything. Like, you're not allowed to play sports. You're not allowed to dance unless it's like in worship. Like, yeah, a bit like a... Really stark. I mean, he said he had a happy childhood, but then he said that they sent him to school. He had a music scholarship because he played the piano. They sent him to this Catholic school, and he claimed that the lavish Catholicism compared with, like, the harsh Plymouth Brethren meant that he had a conflict in his mind. And obviously all the doctors were like, "Mm, at 10, I don't think you were really aware of the nuances and the doctrines. Yeah, like, having an existential crisis at 10. Like, yeah, enough to send you You're more you bothered mad. about what jammers you're wearing that night. Um, so he told them more about his life. He had married and left the brethren. Um, he'd actually div- split up with his wife. They'd had a child and she'd given it for adoption. So he's basically shunned um, from there. And he just decided that he needed to make his own way in the world without them. He'd been really sheltered by this religious sect and now he was out there with not much life skills in that sense. Like, when you come from such a closed community, it can de-skill you in that Mm. you don't know how to live without them. Which is part of how a cult can keep people there. That's one of the things they do. They make it so that you can't survive without them and you don't know how to cope in the real world. Yeah, I was listening to the Children of God by last podcast and left recently and it was saying like because they'd given over all their money and stuff. They- it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I didn't have anything to, to leave the cult with. Yeah, like, you can't do it. All their money was just tied up in that cult. Um, so he devised a method of swindling a higher purchase company by he'd forge a document for a car that didn't exist and give it a fake owner that didn't exist and collect the money for it. But he was found and he this is his first stint in prison. He went for 15 months. And at this point, he was quoted as saying, when I first discovered there were easier ways to make a living than working long hours in an office, I didn't ask myself if it was right or wrong. That seemed to me to be irrelevant. So he was like, well, fuck it. Don't give a shit. I can do it. I think he sort of went, yeah. I did that bit. So then when he came out of prison, he spent four years on his next fraud. He would sell shares for companies that didn't exist. Yeah. And then just move town before people could catch him out. And he went to prison again. He was then released in 1940. So it's wartime. And he became a fire watcher in the Blitz. But was back in prison within a year of doing that for selling household goods. What's a fire watcher? So you'd be, when it was the air raid, you'd be one of the people that was on top. Right. And you'd be going and looking and trying to put out fire, small fires that you could see. So he wouldn't be allowed down in the shelters. He'd be out on top. So basically, if a house did get bombed, well, all the houses are empty. Yeah. You've pretty much got free reign to go looting. Yeah. Everyone's locked up in their bunkers. And he was just nicking stuff and selling it. Yeah. Like, for an opportunistic criminal, it's the Brilliant. worst job you can give them. <laughs> yeah. And so then he said that he was he was very affected by what he saw in the Blitz, which could be true. I mean, it was a horrendous thing if you're just watching things be bombed to mm. shit in front of you. And began to doubt God. Um, and so at this point, he also began experimenting. He knew that he needed the perfect crime. He was fed up of going back to prison, fucked off with it. He was thinking there must be a way out. So he, part of his job in the prison, he had access to acid. Yeah. And he would fill cans with acid that were stolen and he would get other prisoners to bring him like dead mice or dead baby birds and practice dissolving them in acid and working out how long it took them to dissolve. Mm. And think, right, if a mouse is one thirtieth of a human body and like, <laughs> how much will it take from it and just being a spod about it I, mean, I guess he had time yeah and basically like some people like for someone who's brought up really strict Christian childhood as I can identify with once you decide that there's no God it can pretty much go one of two ways like for me thinking that makes you realise right it's all about humanism and if there is no afterlife and there is no god then we have to be as good as we can be now because there's nothing else afterwards yeah like we have to look after each other as best we can because this is all we've got like you don't need that threat of punishment for yeah. higher being it's like this is enough whereas he went the other way and was like there's no punishment yeah us. if there's no god and the plymouth brethren were all very fire and brimstone like do this because it's because that's sinful and very much on the downer on things so yeah. Once he realised he wasn't going to be struck down dead yeah. because he'd done something, he was like, right, fuck it, I can kill anyone I want. So when he got out of prison, fresh with his idea for the aciding, was then March 1944 when he met McSwan. He then suffered a head injury in a car accident Holy shit, right, before, right before he decided to take the plunge and start dissolving people. Right. So he already had the idea beforehand, but I think it's a pretty big coincidence that he had that smack to the head that, you know... Keeps coming up. Doing it. Put bandages on your children's heads at all times. Where the hell are They're going to become a murderer. So all of this was... He told the, the defence all of this to try and build up the fact that he was insane. Uh, and this trial took place on the 18th of July, 1949. Lasted one day... The jury deliberated for 17 minutes 
Because basically he was admitting to everything. There was no dispute. They had the evidence. They had his confession. But he just wanted to be put in Broadmoor. Yeah, he just thought either there's nobody that can't convince me or get me insane. So nine doctors had visited him to try and declare him as insane, but only one was willing to take the stand for him, Dr. Yellow Knees. Um, he was Dr. Quite... Who? Yellow Knees. I thought you said Yellow Knees. Well, it's not much better, is it? <laughs> Um, there's all sorts of stuff like disparaging this doctor though like he had a tough time after doing this trial he was quite new he was definitely bullied by the doctors yes and I think he was like super excited to like be in such a high profile case that he was like yeah I'll do it I'll say you're insane but then yeah and then sort of cracked under pressure of the prosecution and was like oh well I don't know what I'm doing it's my first day he basically admitted that Haig knew what he'd done was wrong, which is like the main, at that time, was the main indicator as to whether someone could be insane or not, is do they know the difference between right and wrong? Yeah. And he was like, he knows that it's wrong, but doesn't believe that he is wrong, sort of thing. It was, yes. he sort of fucked up, basically. Yeah. And there's all sorts of, you can go at the National Archives released um, loads of letters from uh, John Haig while he was waiting to be hung. And he actually writes letters to Yellow Leaves being like, oh, don't worry about it. Like, I know you tried your best, even though you didn't quite do it. And he, he probably gives him a backhanded compliment, yeah. like, while he's waiting. But you then, could have done any better. Knowing you and your Yellow Leaves, it's the best you could do. I mean, I don't know if now maybe he would. I mean, they obviously believed at the time that it, a lot of it was pretense. But in a lot of his letters while he was already sentenced to death so we didn't have too much to gain yeah. from pretending to be insane he wrote to his girlfriend he wrote to his parents he wrote to his doctor and in most of them he displays this massive superiority thing where he compares himself to Jesus all the time saying about my perception of humanity is greater than normal people's just like me and Jesus and Hitler and Napoleon and like oh it sounds like a teenager's diary it is a little yeah. bit like a teenager's diary I'm so different to everyone. <laughs> um, well, he was different because he put people in acid to get rid of them. He was the sludgy bucket killer. <laughs> so, the story starts in 1974. And Samuel Cook is a prolific burglar. So he uh, burgles all of the time. That's basically his living. Every night. Known to the police. They, um, like, they see him out and about. They're like, where are you going, Sam Cook? He's burgling. Like, just go burgling. Just go burgling. Um, been in jail multiple times. So um, a shit one as well. And he breaks it into a house on Springfield Road in Cambridge. Now, if you aren't from the UK, Cambridge is... Um, well-to-do. Posho town. University town. Um, yep. Everyone cycles. Loads of cycle lanes. I went... To, my, my little brother goes to Cambridge University. And I went to pick him up just for this Christmas holidays. And there was a guy who's parked in the campus car park. It's tiny. He was parked across three parking spaces. And I was like, knocked on his window, like, oh, do you mind pulling into a space so that I can park? And he was like... I'm just the driver. They're going to be out in a minute. I was like, mm. well, still park, though. All right. Those fucking rude, posh, rude people. They have money and they're mean. They saw me in the Fiesta and they were like, I'm not moving for you. And I was like, well, guess what? I'm going to scrape your bumper. They're not going to be our top C next week. Did you actually scrape his bumper? I didn't scrape his bumper. I do wish I could do that. Just bump it. I think we've talked about that before, haven't we? Oh, I want to run people over yeah. so they won't walk in the road. Both want, like, bumper cars. You need to learn your lesson! <laughs> My dad used to say that he wished he could make little children-shaped robots and then oh, just drive them into yeah, the road. I think we did say did that. Did we talk about that? That's his finest moment. Um, so, uh, Cook broke into another house on Springfield Road in Cambridge and he did it many times before, but this time, um, a woman came out of the bathroom and she was wearing just a towel. As you do. Um, I'd be more impressed if she came out of the bathroom wearing a clown suit. <laughs> like, it's what I come out of the bathroom wearing. And basically, he saw the woman and he didn't waste the opportunity. And he later said, I came to rob and stayed to rape. Aww. I mean, it's all, in some ways, I find it's more off-putting than murderers a little bit. Because like, he gave some... it a catchphrase. But, I mean, 
we all know if she hadn't been parading around in the comfort of her own home in a little tower how dare she the, be in her house wearing what she wants the woman was bound and he put a pillowcase over her head and afterwards he stole 12 pounds from her purse which even then wasn't a whole lot of money he wasn't he wasn't a rapist but he just took the opportunity and that makes was, you a rapist this was the beginning of his sort of career as a rapist so um i don't think there's like a club that you join like until you've done it three times i'm not giving you the title <laughs> of rapist i think he earned it like in the first one <laughs> i mean what i mean is up until this point he hadn't been a rapist he'd been a burglar like he wasn't a known rapist i feel like to take that to see that as being an opportunity you've Europe. definitely done it before i mean like you love yeah. you you've had sex with a girlfriend when she didn't really want to like I mean he had a wife been... there's probably some violence and there's some... no way that you're totally yeah. down with consent until she comes out in a towel and that like if you see that as an opportunity you've been raping women without their consent you've been but, doing it yeah. but basically it's kind of like a career he fell into like you're in one career. job <laughs> making it so official you're again. in one job and then someone gives you an opportunity and you think oh I really like this and then you make that your new thing so from this yeah, but... point on he he's like this is what i'm doing okay he liked it he really liked it so the woman could only give a vague description as it had been dark but what she said was he was um kind of stocky um kind of oldish and five foot four see this is why i'm sure i was talking to, about it with you or some why i turn all the lights on in the house the whole time that i'm in like people are like oh it's you should save energy there. like oh if I'm in the living room I'll just have the living room light on no all the lights are on because if I'm going to get raped in any one room it's going to be well lit I'm going to see exactly who it is <laughs> yeah fair play it people. would seem opportunistic if you are tit high I suppose <laughs> just flap- I think she was she's flapping them in my face <laughs> so only two weeks later um, another young woman was raped in her home in Abbey Road um, and this time Cook had been going through uh, he basically he w- it wasn't a burglary going, gone wrong he was like I'm going for a rape that's like next level raping though where you're actually going into their house to do it yeah, this is why it was so terrifying he obviously doesn't think he's getting caught at any point no it's, and it was a university town so most of these women were not from Cambridge they were students so she was in the bath um, and the lights went out so he was turning the lights off ready like he was like I'm not oh, getting my plans failed yeah. uh, she clap got- on <laughs> She grabbed a robe and she called for a flatmate. So supposedly there were people around. Um, She heard someone running up the stairs and then she was pushed to the ground and then she was pushed into the bedroom, bound and then raped. And um, she remembers that she told him that he was hurting her and he kind of got off on that. So so he was getting off on the fact that he was causing harm. He needs to get out of Cambridge. There's clubs in London where you can pay to do this. So uh, both these rapes had been quite well publicised and women in the area were beginning to get really, really scared. But they were expecting him to come into... And it's almost like bedsits or like student housing. So they expect him to break in now. So he, he started changing what he was doing. Um, so on the 11th of November, a woman in Huntington Road um, heard a... Sorry, Huntingdon Road heard a noise in the back garden and she opened the door uh, she didn't hear anyone but she heard someone sort of scrambling and she just thought oh, it's probably a cat closed the door locked it heard someone um ring the doorbell 20 minutes later she answered it and cook was standing at the door wearing a wig like a long right. a long haired wig a knitted scarf a leather jacket leather gloves nothing else what i mean that's a fucked up outfit isn't it <laughs> Okay, so there's a naked man, basically. Naked, naked apart from... In a wig, a knitted scarf and a leather jacket. No case. So... Oh, my God. <laughs> yep. Um, he launched at her and she picked... That's like the village people gone wrong. Like, he was the rejected <laughs> yeah. member of the village people. Like, I'm just sorry, we can't actually swing our dong around. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. It'd be sort of humorous. A tiny bit taller than me, guy in a leather jacket, a woolen scarf, no boxes. Um, <laughs> That's stolen Luke's Valentine's Day idea. <laughs> so she she picked up an eye and she hit him over the head with it, and then she kicked him in the nice. groin. So he he left. He went iron to the um, head, and the wig came off. She pulled it off, 
but she threw it after was her. it like a seer wig to like hide his identity it was to hide his identity so he's starting to full-on fringe trying to hide who he was um so she threw the wig after him and then the police came back and looked for the wig but he'd come back and taken it oh shit so, can't leave this behind how am i gonna rape anyone if i don't look fabulous <laughs> um so they but the fact that he was starting to disguise himself was scary for people um but it meant that they could sort of they they knew not to just stop people who looked like what they were expecting him to look like but still they had no idea who it was people were freaking out uh, he's he's coming to people's doors and stuff so women were starting to really get anxious two days later a young music student was um, practicing in some music rooms soundproof rooms um, at the university but it's sort of like a separate uh, uh, building to the university uh, the lights went off to someone a minute later though uh, and she went out into the corridor and he grabbed her and held a chloroform pad over her nose uh, he placed a sack over her head told her I'm not a murderer, I'm a rapist. <laughs> Don't panic. <laughs> That's comforting. If you just relax, you might even enjoy it. Uh, That's the kind he, of creepy shit they spoke He raped her and she had a crush on the building. So... Like, he obviously didn't... Yeah, like He didn't think he was doing a bad it. thing. He was just like... I wouldn't murder someone. I mean, are you having sex totally with them? Totally fine raping them. Ugh. I mean, it's, it's the really is the nightmare situation, isn't it? It's like a complete stranger coming at you... You can't really see them. The music practice room would be terrifying. When I used to have to go to the ones in uni, they are just like a tiny little cell, like completely soundproof, no windows, nothing. The doors lock with like a tiny bit of window. Yeah. And you know that no one can hear you because that's the whole point of them. I used to be terrified sitting in them on my own and I didn't even know this story then. I would have been a lot more scared. It is real terror, really terrifying. Uh, when I was writing about this, I had the front door unlocked. And I was Why? just like, oh my god, I'm gonna die. Um, so women just stopped going out alone. They stopped um, practicing in music rooms. Men walked women everywhere. Women on the campus were given training on what to do if they were attacked. Whistles sold out of the local shop. Women were just buying like whistles in case they were attacked so they could blow them. Uh, so everyone was like panic mode as you would be you Red would just alert. be so scared that someone because nowhere safe no and they don't know who on earth it is and if it was happening so often so the 8th of december and this is such a short space of time the last one was on the 11th of november uh oh no the last one was on the 13th of november it'd been two days after the one before so 8th of december on alston road a 21 year old was uh woken by a torch shining in her eyes she was in her bed. Someone just came in and started shining a torch in her eyes. Uh, Cook threatened her with a knife and placed um, under their ether soap pad over her face, uh, forced her into the back garden and raped her on the lawn. The thing that was terrifying about this... He really doesn't think he's going to get caught. If he took her from the privacy of yeah. her house out into the garden where people might see them... Like, and they'd gone he past, doesn't give one single shit. They'd gone past the doorway, like the, the closed door of her housemate whose boyfriend was staying and they'd heard them go past and they hadn't done anything because they were too scared. So people were there and he said to her, the police will never catch me. I have a car and will be in London before they can do anything. Um, she didn't hear a car leaving afterwards. She heard a bike. I'm gonna say everyone cycles in Cambridge. Yeah. You can't get out of Cambridge in a car. It'll take you hours. Yeah. So he he was trying to throw them off. I think he was hoping that she'd say to the police, "I've got, got a, a red car." car. <laughs> yeah, it's a guy in a car. Um. So now they knew they're looking for a cyclist, which does not fucking narrow down in Cambridge. Like, nope, no chance. Um. The woman also said that the rapist had known her boyfriend's name. Which God. was really freaky. So do you think he was at the university? Oh no, because he was a burglar. He wasn't at university, was he? No, he was a burglar. So the, the, which explains why he was getting into people's houses so easily. So the de- December the 15th... Um, Transferable skill set. Yeah. Next he'll be on The Apprentice. Uh, December 15th, Cook returned to Huntington Road and he woke up a 21-year-old woman with a torch again. Uh, tied her up. And this time... <sighs> got even worse he slashed her so he hadn't even he had been i mean obviously rape is very violent he hadn't been using weapons up until this point rapists justify it as well by saying like 
because it is sex they're thinking oh it's an enjoyable thing like if they weren't such whatever like they could enjoy it if they wanted to like they can like there's some nasty fucked up people who justify it like that but if you're starting to slash people like he is complete control and now like sadist isn't it I mean, it's, I mean, it's destroying these women's lives. I mean, they're like, being woken up in your bed. I don't. Being woken up in your bed is horrid. <laughs> like, I draw the line there. Yeah. That's bad enough. But, I mean, talk about the post traumatic stress that you would feel from that. I mean, it would just be awful. So, she needed 20 stitches. Um, she'd, he'd sort of chased her around the house. And uh, again, there'd been people in the house. I think the sickest episode of Benny Hill. So, they'd been housemates. There was one woman interviewed who was like, yeah, we could hear her running like, running out the house and around the side of the house and he'd slashed her and then he raped her. And she again couldn't say what he looked like, but everyone was so freaked out. People weren't running to people's aid because it was houses full of women. It was like a house with four women. No, fuck off with that. So police from all over the country now were being brought in. They were patrolling the streets um, and they were looking and they were like plain clothes in uniform as well. Wearing wigs and leather jackets. Yeah. Um, I'm one of you. <laughs> they all they had to go on was they were taking swabs of semen, um, which meant police knew the the blood group of the rapist, and they also knew that he was infertile. Uh, either he'd had a vasectomy, or he had some sort of problem where he, I, I guess there wasn't any sperm in there, <laughs> so he was shooting blanks. So they they knew that, and they knew the blood group. So. Um, they thought they could maybe find um, him that way, and they knew he was five foot four. So basically, their plan was they asked all men of five foot four. They just went round and stopped men in the street if they were five foot four. Like. And they, no, they just set, and it, they couldn't enforce that people um, give their saliva, but they just asked all men of five foot four to come in and give a saliva sample. You would want to, I would want to do it to be ruled out. That's though, what people you? were doing. But obviously the the guy who's actually doing it isn't going to come forward, no. is he? Oh, could you optionally come in? Okay. Yeah. Like, it's not going to happen. Uh, so they tried to narrow it down, but they, they didn't know that. But they also suspected it was a burglar. Detectives visited uh, 47-year-old Peter Cook. So he's 47. A skilled burglar. Uh, he lived in a caravan with his wife in the village of Hardwick, which was about five miles outside of Cambridge. And he worked as a delivery driver for a wine and spirits business, but he was a known burglar. Like. So drinking and driving. Yeah. Perfect. Things to go together. Drinking and driving. He provided alibis for the crimes. Uh, his wife corroborated these, which is why the fuck is she doing that? Because he's chloroformed her to sleep. Oh, probably she thought he's burglarising. Oh yeah, that's true. So she was like, yeah, it's with me. Um... They found loads of pornographic films and magazines at his house, but... How dare he? That doesn't prove anything. He should have stayed home and used them. Yeah. Uh, he declined to give a swab of his saliva. Guilty! Uh, and he was put under surveillance. And for three months, the rape stopped. No fucking way. So this is when he started to get even more sickening. He's already terrified the whole of Cambridge. Um, he They put him under surveillance and he kind of think job done. No, no, he's enjoying this attention. He's loving it. Graffiti started to appear, saying the rapist is here. So starts graffitiing around. Obviously, everyone is freaking out because this is actually happening to people that people know. Like, if you think of like university, it's quite insular anyway. So everyone's going to know someone who's been raped. Um, And then on thirteenth of April, nineteen seventy-five, a twenty-three-year-old woman was going to bed when she heard a key in the lock of her door. A key? Who knows how we got that key? I mean, I I put keys under pump pot bricks, whatever. No, I don't. Do, no. Get one of those key safes where you have to punch in the number. Don't just hide it next to your door. I'm, I'm a bugger for that, if I'm honest. Um, so she had... Uh, she, she'd heard about the rapes, obviously. I you just casually say that as if it's like a bad habit that you can't stop. Oh, I'm a bugger for just leaving my keys around. No! stop doing it I think because we have like loads of trades then in and out like okay. often we have to leave I mean we've given any fucker a key like loads of trades and I've got my key that I've never got back I've got a dog mm. they have to fight the dog before they get to me um if you get raped it's your fault <laughs> are you victim blaming no <laughs> so she had got a chain fitted on the door and it held good girl um, she, that's right okay get a chain on the door and I'll feel better 
Oh, you can't put the chain on if you're not in, though, can you? Fuck. Logic has foiled me again! <laughs> um, she was... So, she hid in the house with the chain on the door, and it stopped. She was too scared to phone the police. Phone the fucking police. Like, that's the first thing you do. Phone the police. Um, and the noise went away, so she was like, fine. Phone the police! Then suddenly, he threw himself at the door, broke the chain. <gasps> yeah. If she'd phoned the police, they would have been straight over as well. There's probably a plain coast policeman down Although the road. Although I suppose it's different. Like now, I would, you'd probably have... I'd probably have my phone in my hand, in my pocket, and yeah. I could call them from my hiding spot. I guess spot. it's in the hallway. If it's a landline and you had... To, yeah, she might have had to get up and go to the door where you'd be able to see her. Then you'd be too scared to... That's be true, because he's nearer than the fucking police are. Sorry, language. I'll stop swearing. Um, so, yeah, so he's in the house then. Uh, he tied her up and pushed her under the bed covers. And this time, so um, she could see him, he was wearing a leather mask with a zip mouth and two eye holes made of black leather in the shape of a mask. face sewn onto a sack. I mean, it's horrifying. Um, the oogie boogie man. Yeah, a bit like that. Really, really disgraceful. Um, and he pulled back the zip and said to her, I am the Cambridge rapist. I mean, so he wanted the attention. He wanted the fame, right? Um, he was believing his own hype. Uh, so, yeah. So that's that's thirteenth of April, sixth of May at Pie Terrace, which isn't as delicious as it sounds. It's Pete White. Mm, nope. um, he he struck in broad daylight. It's the first time that it was day. Now we've got you. Uh, a student had come home for lunch break. And she was writing notes um, in the kitchen, turned to see the same... Writing notes in the kitchen. Please do the washing up. It's one of your housemates. <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean, that is... There's no way when I was a student I was coming home at lunch break and doing some more work. Uh, he had the same mask on. She turned around. This time he'd written the word rapist on the forehead. I guess it's easier than unzipping say, every time. The unzipping was getting a bit... Because maybe you'd have to... If it's a sack as well, you'd have to, like, pull it tight with one hand, then unzip it yeah, with the other it hand. Kind of like, the drama. Yeah, we need to be just rapists <laughs> on the head. Like, you know she was <laughs> awful. Um, he, stabbed, he stabbed her in the stomach oh. uh, before raping her. And again, he mentioned her boyfriend's name. So, so he's, like, following these people. He must... This before Facebook, like... Unless he's breaking in prior to check out the house and, and seeing stuff around. I don't know. Uh, he's obviously getting in and out without leaving a trace. Um, Peter Cook, again, had an alibi. So they went and they questioned him straight after this. And colleagues have said that he was there the whole time. Uh, I think. So how do we know it's him? I think he'd, it's said that he probably snuck out so quickly that people, they saw him, didn't see him leave, and then they saw him again. So they just assumed that he mm. hadn't left anywhere he, he works as a job delivering so if he's been there all day he's not doing his fucking job is he yeah that's true that's like the opposite of what a delivery person <laughs> is supposed to be doing so 8th of june so this is a month later a 28 year old canadian student was asleep in a hostel and um cook attacked her with a knife so he threatened her with a knife now two anglers on the river which is right about 300 yards away heard her screaming and they started running to find Good. her. Good, finally but someone's then, heard. And then they started, and they were obviously shouting as they went. So Poking they, him with their rods. The police were, uh, I'm going to rod you to death. My friend was on Plenty of Fish uh, years ago and um, she was so disgusted because someone uh, sent her a message saying, can I dangle my rod in your direction? And I was like, it's Plenty of Fish. She's like, Oh yeah! <laughs> she was just like the what a terrible message. thing to say. I was like, yeah, because it's plenty of. She was like, oh, okay. oh, he might have been if all right. If that's upsetting you, don't date men. No, um, they're not for you. <laughs> any of them. So they they alerted the police, and basically every police in the area was because he ran. The rapist right. ran. Every police in the area was basically told to stop anyone. Um, so. One of the plainclothes officers was on the street, sort of stopping everyone, Having anyone who walked past. Um, a Just wo- stopping anyone who walked past. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, and a woman started cycling towards him. And um, so he was like, well, I've been told to stop everyone. So as the woman uh, went past, he told her to stop and they didn't. So he grabbed and he grabbed her hair. But 
that 70s police officers for you. <laughs> pulled his wig, came off. <gasps> right? And so, that's when he realised she was wearing a leather jacket and no pants. <laughs> so, and then, and as he, and because that, he pulled the wig off and it was like quite a jolt, the cyclist fell over. And then people around, like, um, people come out the house like made stuff. a crowd and blocked it yes just started grabbing and it was it was peter cook in a, like a tartan skirt like full-on dressed as a woman um and a woman like a, a woman's outfit and that's how he, he must it. have had a feminine face because there's no way he had time to paint up i guess if you cycle fast around unless his makeup was busted but um yeah so that's how they realized he'd been getting away with it because he'd He'd been dressed. He'd been cycling, dressed as a he woman. He had a wig on. That's like Scooby Doo level disguise. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, I've put it on. It couldn't possibly be me. And they found the mask in his bag. So they found this this mask that literally said "rapist" on it. Ooh, his little sack, gimp sack mask. Yeah. So he went Ooh. to trial. And they the- said "rapist" on it. Yeah. It wasn't me. Well, this mask says differently. <laughs> What's this, Peter? Uh, so he went to trial in 1975 he pleaded guilty um, how long do you think he got for raping loads of women yeah I'm going to say he got like three years of rape um, let's say he got done he won't have got done for all of them because they'll have said circumstantial evidence let's say he got done for four so 12 years no he they put him in for life oh did they oh that's yeah. good then I guess there's a slash in there's the drug in oh yes there was the no, that's good. I was going to say, normally... They basically they... said he's not getting out. He's too fucking dangerous. Yes. No, that's like, true. Because he didn't give a shit. He was just... Way. So he died... And he was gearing up. Like, the way that he did... Like, started with the rape, then to a slash, then to a stab in the stomach. Like, he was going to murder someone eventually if he'd have carried yeah, on. Yeah. He was like, definitely... He would have no qualms about it. Because he was so... already chloroforming them, so he liked him still. Like, yeah. he could have just killed them and then raped them. Like, he obviously didn't give a fuck. Yeah. So... He he lived to seventy five, but he died in prison in two thousand and four. So he did. Goodbye. Just want to say thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers for our first month. We have in the drawing room with the lead pipe, Rebecca Pope. Maggie Dobschwetz in the conservatory with the knife. Holly Andrew was in the billiard room with a candlestick. And Luke was in the hall with a fucking revolver. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.